Grace and peace are yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the friend of sinners. Amen. We don't do very well with this. As individuals or or as a church body, we struggle with this. We would rather avoid it. Or if we do it, we do it with a self-righteous attitude and, and a lack of love. Today we have a really challenging section of the Bible, Matthew chapter 18, that Jesus wants us to wrestle with. God wants his church to be willing and ready to say hard things with love. A church that's that's willing to handle conflict, sinful conflict. Last week we saw that God wants us to care about our own souls and do everything we can so we're not trying to gain the world and yet losing, forfeiting our souls. And today Jesus tells us he wants to care about us to care so deeply about the souls of others that we would even say and do hard things to be able to bring them back. This section starts out with Jesus saying, if your brother or sister sins, go. If they sin. If your brother or sister sins. Puts us in a context, doesn't it? A family. Your brother or sister. We're talking about believers who are sinning and sometimes sinning against us. Not just talking about noticing sin out there in the unbelieving world, but if your brother or sister, if your Christian family member who you love sins against you, what do you do? How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, it first of all tells us that that the Christian church should be a family where people care about each other, where people talk to each other, (laughs) where where there's enough interaction between the people in the church that that there's opportunity for people to sin against each other. He doesn't just want people who come and show up on Sunday and then go their separate way, and there's, there's no conflict because there's no interaction. He wants this in his church, but he knows when sinners gather together, there's going to be sin. There's going to be conflict and there's going to be Christians who need to care each other, care about each other enough to do something about it. So what does Jesus want us to do when there's sin between Christians? What do you do when there's a sinful, destructive attitude that needs to be gently pointed out and repented of? What do you do when a friend is telling you about their relationship that, that they're dabbling in outside of their marriage? What do you do when, when a, another dad tells you how they just they don't have any time to be able to take care of their family between work and all the entertainment that they want to take part in? What do you do when someone claims to be a follower of Jesus, but they just don't let go of that sin, or they don't struggle against that sin, and it's repetitive, and it's a pattern, and it just doesn't seem to bother them? They don't seem broken up about it. What do you do? Well, Jesus... Jesus tells us. He's got a winning strategy here for winning them back. Jesus wants us to go to them. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. He wants us to go to them one-on-one, alone, just between the two of you, as long as it's not a, a dangerous situation to do that kind of thing. Sin doesn't negate the Eighth Commandment where God teaches us to protect the reputation of the people around us. He doesn't want us to go and gossip about them. He wants us to keep this conversation 
as private and quiet as we can for as long as possible. Why, why keep sin private and quiet instead of going and talking about it? Remember the goal. The goal is repentance and forgiveness and being reunited with the family of God. The goal is not guilt or shame or personal revenge. If, if a whole group of people goes and corners a stray dog, it might get angry and scared and start barking or biting at them. If, if everyone just descends on somebody right away who's sinned, they might do the same kind of thing. But if someone can go up to that stray dog quietly, patiently, maybe with some food, it might get a different reaction. Maybe there's someone you love that you can just go and, and, and talk to. And they may even lower their guard enough to talk with you. I met another pastor who had this policy at his church, uh, the church that he served at, that if someone came and started telling him something that, that was wrong with somebody else, something else that they were doing, he would always stop the conversation. And, and, and he, told, he told his staff, too, this is our policy. If someone comes to talk with me about you, if they talk with you about me, the first thing is, stop, have you spoken with that person yet? And if they said no, he'd say, let's go over to their office <laughs> or let's call them on the phone and set up a time to meet because you have to do that first. He didn't want, he didn't want gossip and, and slander happening at all. Now, maybe there are times when, um, when, when people need to talk with a Christian friend or a pastor to just get, get an idea of what, what should I do with this next step? I want to reach out in love to this person and, I, and I'm not quite sure how to do it. And there might be times when when, when we need to do that, but we also should check our attitude. Are, are, we, really, are we really just gossiping? Are, are we really wanting somebody else to know about this so that they can handle it? Are we hurting somebody else's reputation? Because that's not what Jesus wants us to do. And I think we tend to mess this up in, in two ways, um, going to someone one-on-one -on -one and talking about their sin. The first way is that, is that we just avoid it. We don't want conflict so, so we don't say anything, and sometimes if we just avoid all that causes is anger and, and resentment instead of resolution, repentance, and forgiveness. And, and the other way is that people come and, and don't take any um, plank out of their own eyes and just with a judgmental attitude come and, and start correcting sin left and right, and that seems to just push people away too. When we hear Jesus say, when there's sin between Christians, you need to go talk about it one-on-one -on -one too, it might just give us a little bit of pause to say, okay, is this thing that happened something repetitive, uh, habitual, a pattern in this person's life that is really destructive and, and leads them on the road to hell unless they repent of it? Or is it just something that annoyed me once? <laughs> And, and we may be able to, to just remember that we stand under grace and we're, we're saints who continue to sin against each other. And there may be times, too, when we can just say, yeah, my brother or sister sinned against me and I'm going to let it go. <laughs> this isn't something that, that keeps happening. We don't need to bring up every single thing that happens. But the goal is to not let people go down a road to unbelief, but to call them back. And when we follow what Jesus tells us to do, do you know what sometimes happens? If they listen to you, you have won them over. 
a winning strategy. Sometimes Christians live it. Listen to the loving concern of their brothers and sisters. Uh, they repent. They ask for forgiveness. And you know what we get to do? Point them to the cross. Take them to the cross of Jesus who died for that specific sin, who, who washed it away, who welcomes you back into his family. And I love you and care for you. And, and, and let's get back to worship together. I won't hold this against you. Jesus suffered and died for that sin. But sometimes, after patiently, a dozen times, texting and, and calling and, and talking, they just don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to hear what you have to say. They, you're bringing the Bible and God's word to them, and they, they don't want to hear what that has to say. People are just judgmental. They don't understand. Then what? Jesus says, bring along another one or two trusted Christians. So there's people who can witness what is happening and, and loving people who also can call them back. The point is this. Don't give up. Keep on going to them. If someone's house was on fire, you wouldn't say, well, they'll probably get out of there in time. It's, it's the middle of the night. If your neighbor's house was on fire, I'd hope that we'd go over. We'd knock on the door. We'd call 911. We'd, we'd do whatever we can to get them out because there was real danger there. There's real danger with unrepented sin, too. The goal is to rescue them. And if they hear our words with, with, with a few other people with us, a couple other people, one other person with us, we get to take them to the cross. We get to rejoice. We get to welcome them back. And if they refuse to listen, even after a, a couple of caring people get involved, not just once, this isn't just a boom, 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 done. But after, after working with, after going to them, after opening a Bible with them, and they still don't want to let go of their sin, then Jesus says, if they refuse to listen, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And ideally, this would be the first time that I would ever hear about it. This would be the first time that church elders would ever hear about what's going on, and then, and then they would say, what can we do as a church? And maybe a, a group of church leaders or elders would then, on behalf of the church, go, go out to them and, and, and bring their Bibles and talk about what's going on and urge them to come back to the family of God. And maybe it would get to the point where we have to have a meeting at church and we have to say, here's this thing that's going on, and, and, and we've tried this and we've tried this. Does anybody know this person? This is this is serious. We want them back in our family again. Do we, do we need more patience? Does anybody have a good relationship with them? Can they go to them? What can we do? And if they come back, what do we do when they return? We give them Jesus. Because the Bible says there is, there is rejoicing in heaven and the angels are cheering for joy when one person repents and comes back. We welcome them back with open arms. The church who has now heard about what is going on doesn't give them dirty looks. They don't, they don't turn their head away from them. They sit next to them at church. We, we reach out to them. We love them. We, we, we sing with them and thank God for them. But what about when they refuse to listen even to the church? Well, this is what we sometimes call excommunication or church discipline. Sometimes we think of all of Matthew 18 as the steps of church discipline. And really, the whole first half of it is individual uh, pleading. And, and at the very end, the church gets involved. Jesus says this, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Well, what does that mean? 
Well, we can think about how Jesus treated pagans, unbelievers, and tax collectors. You remember what book of the Bible we're in? You remember who wrote that book? Matthew the tax collector, right? Jesus showed unbelievable love to, to Matthew, someone who was, who was outside of the church as a tax collector, who was looked down on. He said, come and follow me. He followed him to be his disciple. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. He, he loved them and he cared for them. So uh, treating them as a tax collector and a sinner doesn't mean total shunning. It, it doesn't mean uh, dirty looks. It doesn't mean staying away from them all the time. But one thing Jesus didn't do is he didn't treat them as if they weren't pagans. He didn't treat unbelievers as if they were believers. So he's telling his church, if somebody refuses to repent, even as the church comes to them, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector, you have to let them know they're on the road to hell. They're holding on to this sin and they won't let go of it and it's habitual and it's repetitive and it's a pattern and they, they don't want to get it. And we have to say that I don't want you to have to stand before Jesus holding on to the thing that Jesus can't stand. So he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In catechism, we talk about this as the doctrine of the keys. Binding, locking, or unlocking, loosing. And it's a picture of binding someone's sins to them. You've refused to let go of this sin, and it's really just an acknowledgement of that. It's like taking church duct tape and wrapping the sin <laughs> over there, and, and, and the danger is that if you breathe your last breath tonight, you're not going to be in heaven with Jesus, because this sin is more important to you than life with him. And the whole point of church discipline is that with that strong statement of God's law, that they would then repent of that sin and come back. And when they do, what do we do? We show them the cross. We show them the Savior. We show them Jesus, who just in the previous verses says he's the good shepherd, who leaves the 99 uh, sheep who are safe in, in the grassy fields and goes out into the wolf-infested woods so that he can find the one sinner and, and bring them back so there can be rejoicing and peace and life forevermore. And that's, and that's loosing that is, that is unlocking them from their sins. It is a Christian declaring forgiveness and knowing that just as this forgiveness is declared on earth, Jesus in heaven is saying the same thing. It's this winning strategy that Jesus gives us for winning sinners back to heaven using his law and gospel. But it doesn't happen very much in churches. Uh, sometimes those, you know, a lot of times those beginning things, people, people being able to say, hey, that... That hurt when you did that, and a, and a Christian saying, I'm so sorry, and there's forgiveness, and, and moving on. But when it gets a little bit farther down these stages, we do, we, we, tend, we tend to avoid talking about it. And then what happens is those who are sinning also want to avoid talking about it. Because the truth is, sinners are cowards. And... What usually happens in a church when it starts getting anywhere close to this is people run away. 
They don't want to hear about their sin, so they, they stay away from church, and they don't answer the text or the phone calls or, or the door if, if those things are actually happening. They, they run from it, and we're not in these little, these little close communities where we see each other all the time, and, and, and sinners can, can go and start over somewhere else without dealing with their sin, and they do. Either just avoiding church or going and finding some other church, some other pastor that doesn't know about it, and they can just slide in over there. And sometimes pastors are cowards, and they avoid, and they don't go and reach out, even though they know somebody is, is engaged in a sin that is dangerous to their soul. They, they say they're, they're, they're too busy, um, that, that they don't want to push them away any further. And, and I want you to pray for, for pastors like me and for me specifically that can have the courage to go with Jesus, who's there with us as we do this, and, and go and share law and gospel with people. I want to be able to make this promise to all of our members that, that if you start to disappear or you start to, to run away or you're engaged in something that's dangerous, that I will hunt you down. And, and, that, and that I'll find you and that I'll, I'll blast your phone with texts and I'll stop over your house and do whatever it takes to bring you back. And I need you to pray for me for that and I need you to partner with me in that because we know this isn't just the pastor's job. This is a core ministry of the congregation that we go and we seek out the lost, the people who aren't here, the people who, who are avoiding people being, being here. So, so as we pray for that, we get this encouragement too. Jesus wants us to pray about this. <laughs> he says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you agree on anything they ask for, it will be done for them in heaven. Wherever two or three come together in my name, there I am. Whatever you pray for. Now this, recognize the context. This isn't just um, Jesus saying, name it and claim it. You say what you want, the, Holy, the, the, the Heavenly Father will give it to you. He's saying in the context here, church discipline, people gathering together, praying about what to do next, about this, this really tough, dangerous situation. As you're coming together and praying about this, even two or three of you gathered together, Jesus is right there with you. God the Father is right there with you, answering your prayer, giving you what you need. It will be done by my Father in heaven. God is here. Who is here? Jesus is here. Jesus, the, the, the one who gives us the motivation for doing this. Jesus, the one who didn't avoid handling conflict, but Jesus knowing that there was this awful, uh, irreparable by humans conflict between, between God and humans as humans continually side with, with Satan and with their sinful nature. And Jesus doesn't avoid the conflict, but he steps right into it, stepping onto the battlefield of our world, stepping into our place as a true human, fighting against Satan, living a perfect life, and in the end, winning the battle with his sacrificial death on the cross. The thing that looks like defeat is Jesus destroying sin, death, and the devil, taking away the conflict, bringing reconciliation, and promising life eternal with his resurrection on Easter morning. His forgiveness just pours into our lives so that it can spill out into the lives of others, even when we have to say hard things. Amen.